and it's cliche to say, but when you're in the middle of adversity, it sucks. You hate it. And you just want to be done with that. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it, I, I am finding more, the more I go through it in my career, and by the way, I'm in the middle of a tough moment right now. Um, like our business is complicated with global supply, supply chain. chain. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, a, it's a total nightmare. And yet my perspective went from 10 years ago, like this sucks. This is heavy. I hate this to, uh, this is a pretty interesting problem to solve. That's never happened in the, the history of the world. Yeah. And this can be written one of two ways. Um, you know, it can be a success or a failure. So we're going to write this success and I'm going to be intrigued by this problem that I get to solve because not only does it not feel so heavy, but I start to enjoy the challenge and I can actually learn from a difficult moment as opposed to just wanting to be done with it. And welcome to the One Shot Podcast. All right, so you got three three former athletes, right? And their and their protein consumption um, is <laughs> is abnormal, <laughs> abnormally <laughs> high. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it, and and I think we really gravitate towards red meat, typically mm-hmm. the three of us. The reddest. Um, the, yep. Uh, but uh, anyways, one thing that we have all fully fully dove into is how we prepare our meat right and in in our guest today which we're humbled that that he would spend the time with us but uh is is a name of a is is the name behind the brand that we all know uh i mean whether it's joe rogan whether it's meat church uh who, anybody if you're following anybody on social media you, you've seen this brand uh and that brand is traeger but uh, we gotta say yeah. to you and i know and i and i've digging into prior to this conversation as you were doing some diligence on Traeger before you took over as a CEO, some of the things that people would say were this product is the best product I have and it's changed my life. And I can attest to that. It's literally changed my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm on it. I'm on it two to three nights a week at least. That's a, that's on a down week. Mm. I've even got my trigger hat. I mean, I'm I, I'm. This is <laughs> yeah. the most excited I've been doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, shout out to Michael <laughs> Davis for sending us those hats, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm but, so glad he did. <laughs> so we are joined by Jeremy Andrus, the CEO of Traeger Grills, uh, stepped in, and I'm going to let you you uh, give a little bit more background on how you got to Traeger and then what those early years in Traeger were, but. Um, you know, 2014 was your first year there, correct? Yep. yep. Actually, January 17th, uh, I believe was my first day. And so it's like eight years in a week since I showed up. That is awesome. You've done some big things in eight years in a week. I'll tell you that. Uh, It it, it feels like (laughs) these are dog years. It feels like decades. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to go back. Uh, uh, We're going to go back on, on your story, but before we do that, did you have any, did you have a Traeger before you took the job? No, no, I didn't, you know, and, and, and it's interesting. And, and where you just started was, that was, that was why I really fell in love with Traeger. It's, um, you know, you always want to do something that's important to people. Right. That's, that's meaningful to people. And, and, and as well, I was an, as an entrepreneur having um, co-founded a, a business called Skull Candy, brand called Skull Candy. 
uh, I had this appreciation for what it takes to really make a product or a brand truly resonate with a consumer. If you, if you think about the hundreds of brands and products that, that we interact with every day, they're sitting all around me. Most of them don't, most of them do exactly what they're supposed to do, but they're not special to me. They're not important to me. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I heard that comment that you just made for the very first time, my Traeger changed my life. I said, you, you know, like, what do you do? I put my pen down and I said, say, say that again. Like, first of all, this is a backyard grill. Yeah. And I was like, I was grilling on an old Weber. It was fine, but it wasn't important to me. And I heard that. And then I heard it again. And I heard it again. And I said, there's magic here. And I want to be a part of this. Like, I, I, I want to be one of those brands that people want to tell their friends about. Yeah. And so that, it, it blew me away from literally the very first day. And I had never heard of this brand before. <laughs> 27 amazing. years in, I'd never heard of it. Well, the magic is, you know, food, food is so emotional for us as people. It's community. It's time to gather. And so for me, I'll speak for myself. My Traeger is my time with my family. Yeah. It's time that we can hang out in the backyard and just enjoy each other. And so it really does. It sounds crazy to say it's changed my life, but it really has because of those times of connectedness that I get with my family while we're using the Traeger. It's, it's, it's beyond just a cooking utensil or a cooking device. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It truly is a, a, a moment and a time that we see a special. Yeah. You know, that, 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 and that, that experience is what every brand hopes to like they have an experience like that's what every brand hopes to create and yet most brands are still so they're transactional they're selling stuff they're selling items and we learned very early on and we actually we we developed this this brand promise which speaks to exactly what what you just said and it's uh our our, our promise is is to bring people together to create a more flavorful world and the bringing people together part, that's like this human experience of being connected with people you care about. Uh, when you cook for them, it's like e even more so people almost can't believe dad. Wait, dad, you did this brisket. <laughs> right. Where, where yes. did you buy it? Like, no, I did this. And, and then there's this, they're, they're not only high fives, but there's appreciation that you cared enough to do it. And so this flavorful world piece of the, of it is, it's not just like the flavor of the food, which of course is very important to what we do, but it, but it, it's the richness of a life well lived. And we want our brand to stand for that mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, what do people really crave in life? Mm -hmm. uh, community connection in their family, their backyard, their neighborhood. That's right. And so we, we just want to be part of that, that mm -hmm. connection yeah. process. Well, that's said. awesome. And yeah. I, I want to say one more thing, just, you know, bragging on your brand and what you've created before we go back to the beginning and get to your journey and, and how you came to where you're at today. But one of the things that I love about the brand that you've created and, and like you, I hadn't heard of Traeger really until five, yeah. four, five years ago. Same yeah. here. And so one thing that, that I've experienced and people that I've spoken with have experienced is you've created a brand that is the anti Apple concept where it's not, Hey, I'm going to upgrade it and you got to buy a new unit and you got to buy this. We want to make sure that you're happy with what you have and that lasts you for as long as physically possible. If there is an issue, which there always is, right? There's always some sort of any kind of machine. There's some sort of mechanical breakdown, but the fact that you 
your team and support staff goes over and above yeah. in making sure that they make it right so that you can get back and cooking again. And that's just so different, right? That's just so yeah. different than today. It's like, okay, where can we get more revenue? How can we squeeze more revenue out of our customers? Yeah, yeah look, it's, um, this is something that, that we talk a lot about and it's that, um, you know, great, great brands are about, a consistent touch point every single time, every time a consumer interacts with the brand, whether it's on the website, at retail, with service, you know, even opening the box and unboxing it, every touch point is high quality uh-huh. and, it, and it makes sense. It resonates. And, and it's interesting, you know, I, I, I just got a phone with uh, or, or Zoom with, with an executive of a very large, well-known 150-year-old global brand. And I was sharing an experience that I had and, and I said, boy, when this happened and I was just giving feedback, it was so surprising to me because that's not how I knew your brand. And this is something that we talk about over and over and over. It's how do we make sure that the only surprise moment is a surprise and delight moment. Uh, Every uh, touch point a consumer says, that's how I expect to be treated by Traeger. This is how Traeger does it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, powerful. That yes. is. I that love is. that. Well said. So let, let's go back, uh, Andrew. Let's go back to oh, Andrew. Jeremy, Andrews. You on a last name basis uh, yeah, now? I am. <laughs> I am. Hey, that's how it was in the locker room, right? That's how we do it hey, in the locker hey, yo, room. Yo, Andrews. Hey, take us back, Andrews. <laughs> hey, do you, do you know my high school nicknames as well? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back. Let's go back to your childhood and where you were born and, and your upbringing. Where, where were you born? You know, boy, uh, when people ask where I'm from, I say the East Coast because I went to junior high school in Boston and high school in D.C. Mm. But honestly, I've, I've lived all over the world. Uh, I was born in the Midwest, lived in Europe a couple of times. And so, um, you know, it's funny I say the East Coast, but, but I, I've experienced so much. And um, travel was an important part of um my upbringing, uh, my, I moved to England when I was 10 years old and we didn't have much money, but every time I got on a business trip, as opposed to hopping on the train or buying a plane ticket, we hopped in the back of the station wagon and we drove mm-hmm. and we got on the ferry and went to Europe. And so I, I say that because, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that has really informed my perspective, uh, on life is having, seen the world through, through a different set of eyes, you know, having, um, you know, trekked through, uh, slums in, uh, in, 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 in India and in Mumbai, um, you know, spent, lived in the middle East, uh, having spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. And, uh, you, you get this perspective on the world that, uh, that I didn't have my first 10 years growing up in a small town in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, that's something I connect with you on. And, and I've said this before, but I was born in another country as well. And I lived the first five years of my life. And then we would travel all the time to Brazil. Uh, and that's the greatest gift my parents ever gave. I mean, they gave me a ton of great things, but the greatest mm-hmm. gift they gave me was a perspective of a life outside of what I grew up in and, and understanding that there is a bigger world than your two mile radius block that you spend yeah. most of your time in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, that, that's such an important thing as a parent. We, we have six young children and uh, when they turn eight years old, we start, we start to travel with them internationally once a year. And uh, you know, it's not to Paris and to London. Um, we uh, recently took them uh, to Northern Africa. 
And when we, and, and it's not just the tourism on the beaten path, we find a place to do service, you know, uh, an, an orphanage to spend time. We've taken them on uh, vision projects in, in Peru and what you don't want them to believe. And we live in this really great bubble, our neighborhood and our school. It's like, it's like so pristine and perfect, but that's not how most of the world lives. Yeah. And I think for, for children to grow up understanding what the world's really like, it's not only good for their view on life, but suddenly they start to appreciate some of the things that they think just grow on trees. <laughs> and, and it's like there, 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 there's a level of maturity. I think when you've had an experience like you've described yeah. that uh, I just want our kids to, to understand what the world's really like. Yeah. yeah. I actually listened to a sermon this morning talking about this and, and it goes along with what you're saying. We've lost our sense of awe and wonder in, in certain ways. We, we get so wrapped up in, you know, having the biggest house on the block and having the best job and the CEO title, which is, are all great things. And they're not bad things, Yeah. but we forget about the awe and the wonder that's out there. If you get outside of your bubble. 100%. Like I, uh, I, I have this conversation frequently because I, I'm just a, I'm a believer in simplicity in life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who, 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 who've been successful entrepreneurs and, uh, they have multiple homes they, uh, they fly private everywhere. They own airplanes. And it's like, they reach out, hey, do you want to partner on a plane? Do you want to buy, you know, you want to do something at the Four Seasons and wherever it may be? And the answer is, we're, we're good. And, and there's nothing wrong with having those experiences, but simplicity in life so that you can enjoy, you know, what I do two or three times a week, for example. I'm 10 minutes from, from the mountains. Uh, when there's snow on the ground, I'm out there at 5 a.m. running up a mountain with, with a headlamp on and my micro spikes on. Mm. And and you look down and you beat the world out of bed. And it's like, <laughs> you talk about awe and wonder. How about like looking down from a mountain yes. a couple of times a week? And that doesn't cost anything except calories. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it is interesting in life is like life can be, you can become very ambitious and then you can let life get very complicated. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, I really try and step back and think about my, you know, I remember sitting with my grandfather, for example, I live a hundred yards from the, from the house that my grandfather built brick by brick uh, back in the forties. And I have no idea how we ended up so close to, to where he lived, but uh, he was a blue collar guy, worked three jobs to take care of a family of six children. And he just believed in simplicity and he was always, he worked hard, but he was always happy and being able to find the beauty in life and not and in 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 a world that has so much noise yeah. you know that you're always connected to your device your airpods are never far away and you've got all this noise but being able to step back and feel the presence of a moment i just think oh. is so important yeah i it's something that you have to focus on every day yeah i i couldn't agree more and and with both of you and one of the things that i love about traveling internationally, serving internationally, is that, yeah, you get to see things and you see different perspectives, right? And your your perspective of life changes. But for me, what I love is I love just the restoration of like your faith in humanity. Because you look at people that have so little that are so grateful and gracious. I mean, we spent time in in Guatemala City and, and the people there that literally live on top of a trash dump, the fact that you would come spend your, an American would come spend their time just to talk with them, 
just to like hear them and listen to them. Like you would have thought that you just, you just took them to, you know, a five-star restaurant, bought them dinner and yeah. put them up at the Ritz Carlton. Yeah. And just by spending time and just the, the gratitude and appreciation from, from people that have so little and, and it's, it, it just really does make, uh, you know, our, look at our lives, like how trivial, yeah. like we're so stressed over all these things and all these things bring us down. And I mean, look at like our depression levels in our country and all the things that we struggle with, with mental health, yet we have so much and we just have yeah. lost, lost sight on what the perspective of life could be in a simpler form of it. That's, I love it. That's great. Yeah, I totally agree. I needed to hear that today. Thank oh, you. All right. All right. Well, okay. So let, let's keep going. So you, you move uh, over to Europe, spend some time in Europe, and then you come back in uh, to the East Coast, grow up in um, in DC and Minnesota. No, and, no. And, and and Boston, and Boston, Boston. Boston that's right, Boston. I say I'm East Coast. I, I'm total West Coast guy. I know, like the, the the East Coast is kind of like my 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 roots are there. But when I go back, I'm reminded of why the East Coast is has earned its reputation. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to say it. You know, it, it's, it, you know it's, it, it's a little bit, a little bit rough around the edges person. And I, and I, and I came West, uh, you know, I've lived West for most of my adult life now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you, you know, actually um, in, my, in my, if you look at my career, I mean, like I was after college all over the place. I was, you know, I was day trading stocks full time for six months. I was starting a frozen beverage supply business in Dallas, actually, mm. um, you know, in, in, in like a rough, rough, rough experience as an entrepreneur. Mm. I was building real estate all over the place. And, it, and it's it's interesting to look back, you know, the last 17 years of my career have been defined by two things that were very meaningful. And, you know, I eventually found my way in life, but I'll tell you the, the, the first, the first 10 years, like disaster, like disaster. I mean, like you look at my resume and say, boy, you've got way too many logos for the number of years on there. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the journey has been incredible and it's, um, you know, you, you learn so much by doing it. And it's funny. I don't look back and, begrudge or regret any of those times because you are made by the adversity that you go through. Yeah. But I wouldn't go back either. (laughs) I like, I like where I'm at today. We're great. We're grateful that you're there. That's for sure. Those first 10 years when you were dabbling and doing different things, what were your goals? Like, what were you trying to, what were you hoping that you turned into one day? You know, so, so it's an interesting question. Um, I, um, I, I've always wanted to be a CEO and an entrepreneur. Mm. And uh, since, since I was a kid, I mean, like I, I was like, I bought a lawnmower when I was eight years old and started a lawn business, started paper out at seven when my sister was eight and a half, like in Minnesota at four 30 in the morning, in the middle of winter, I wanted to make money. I wanted to build something. I was always like writing business plans. I didn't call them business plans because I didn't know what that was. But, um, you know, from a young age, um, there were things that I wanted to do in life. And, um, and, and, and fast forward to when I graduated from college and I had a strategy and I got and I was a few months out of college and realized I was unhappy mm-hmm. and my career wasn't going anywhere. And um, 
you know, I was questioning everything and, and, and I, I, I was, I went, I, I, I wanted, and, and, and with each move, I wanted to find what I loved. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's like, and, and the list goes on and on, but it, it's interesting to look back and, you know, think about what did I learn as I like the word dabbled is the right one. I mean, I never stopped working. I was working hard but I was definitely not getting anywhere. And it's it, at the time it was, it was discouraging. And I felt like my career was a failure. And it's interesting looking back, there was actually real value in each of those moments. They're mm-hmm. like, there were like real lessons. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the, one of the things that I, that I really internalized along the way, which is, um, you know, you keep your feet moving and, uh, not to use a football analogy, but you're running back, you keep your feet moving and, and eventually you find the hole right. and it may not feel like you're, 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 you're going North South, but, but you get there. And I, I was just a big believer in learning from each experience so that I didn't look back and say that was a waste of time and a failure. Yeah. So yeah. you, I mean, basically your mentality, you sounds like, it sounds like you're a self-starter. You've always been a self-starter. 100%. So where, yeah. where did you get that from? Is that from your mother or your father? Cause that's, those are experiences that you've probably have witnessed throughout your life. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's no question there, there is, um, there's DNA. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my, my father, uh, became an out successful entrepreneur and, uh, and yet gr- growing up, I remember I, I grew up lower middle class for much of my life and he made money later on, but, but no question it's part of the DNA, but it's also interesting for me to think about there is a nature component, but there's a nurture component as well. And, um, you know, if I wanted Nike shoes and, you know, as, as, you know, the second, the, the second child, my parents didn't make, my didn't make, make much money. Like it was on me to, to earn and to go buy them. And it, it's interesting. And I was, there were five children in our family and, you know, uh, we grew up differently. My, my older sister and I grew up uh, the, the early days where, you know, we worked and we paid for our gas and we and, and insurance in our car and the younger siblings this is not a knock on my younger siblings. It's, it's just like, it, it was, it was what they were. Um, it was what they were served up in life. But I do think that um, the nurture component made me hungry. Mm-hmm. And um, like I, I remember appreciating the first time I bought Nike shoes. And by the way, I, I later realized that the swoosh went the wrong direction. So they were <laughs> um, but, Got him. You know, okay, but I, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. And like for eight bucks in the late seventies, what do you expect? Right, right? Right. Um, but uh, I remember wearing them to bed until my parents said, these are now like, these are worn. You can't wear these to bed anymore. And I grew up really appreciating those things because I worked for them. So it's a little bit of both. And, Boy, uh, that, that's something I think a lot about with my own children. Man, I love that. Uh, I grew up differently than I did. Hey, no. Isn't it so funny? <laughs> it's really funny. I think any uh, any individual, boy or girl, that is on the older side of siblings would have that exact same story. Like, you guys, like we had to mow the lawn. We had to do <laughs> yeah, all the work. Yeah. You didn't have to do it. And you just got a car. And I mean, I, I think that's so common. It's so funny. It just it cracks me up that experience. And it's interesting. And, and you want to recreate that for your children. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different generation. And, yeah. you know, um, it, it's, it's a hard thing as a parent as well. It's like, how, how do you, 
how do you provide and create opportunity, but um, nurture the hunger in them? Yeah. yeah. And that's a great question. And, and this generation is so different. And, and you brought up a, a point earlier that we've talked about quite a bit is, is when you're, when you're at a point in your career and you mentioned it, it's like, Hey, I didn't feel like I was going anywhere. What is, where is that line in, in your mind that you say, okay, this is where I now need to pivot and go somewhere else as opposed to continuing to push through, right? The example of a miner, he's digging and he's digging yeah. and he's digging yeah. and he's digging and then he stops right before he gets to the diamond. So in your mind, yeah. when is that, when does that apply? Oh. All right, we're going to take a quick break from the episode and recognize an opportunity that we all have. It, if you are having a hard week or you just need some R&R, Here's what you got to do is you got to drive up 75 north, cross the Red River to Durant, Oklahoma, to Choctaw Casino and Resort. It is the best getaway that you can get if you're in the Dallas area by far. And guess what? If you're listening from somewhere outside of DFW, say you're in South Texas or you're in another state, which we've got some listeners uh, in other states, fly into Dallas, drive up. It is worth every penny. You don't have to go to Vegas anymore to have a world-class experience at a world-class resort and casino. Yeah, we talk about the restaurants that are up there, those steakhouses. We talk about the concert venue. Uh, we, we had a conversation with Aaron Watson previously, and he talked about the, the intimacy. Every single seat in that concert venue is right on top. And there's not a bad seat in the house. There's not. And so these artists talk about it's one of the best places to play. And so go check, check out your, yourself a concert, the spa, the, the brand-new expansion. I mean, it's just such a good time. To your point, Tyler, if you need a break, things are getting crazy, times are tough, Get up there, get up to Choctaw Casino Resort. Have yourself a great time. We we experience it. We love it. Uh, they're doing great things in the community. Can't say enough good things, and we're so grateful for their partnership. That's Choctaw Casino Resort. Go check them out. Now back to the episode. I, I, w- I wish there was a magical formula, but, I, but I'll tell you a story of something that, ha- that happened. At- and actually, when I, when I learned it, it caused me to go back and ask this question about different moments of my life. Um, I, um, my, my family and I invested in Traeger in late 2013. And then in early 2014, I, I, I went to run the business as CEO and it was an incredibly difficult experience. Uh, the, uh, the majority owner and I saw the world very, very differently and I'll, I'll leave it at that, but, uh-huh. but we had different styles and different beliefs on how to build a business and how to treat people and how to build a team. And, um, you know, I, I came to this, this, this moment, uh, you know, sort of 10, 10 months in where, uh, it was just a devastating moment. We'd managed to buy the rest of the business. We got him out. It was ours to build. And we made a change in our business with, with our supply chain team. And, and actually, um, our mutual friend, uh, Mr. Davis arrived not long after this, but, um, we decided to outsource our supply chain operation because that's, that's very common in this world today for, especially for a growing business. And um, that meant that we were going to have to let go everyone that worked in our warehouses. And so, um, you know, we let them know that uh, we gave them eight weeks. Uh, we gave them job opportunities with UPS who, who we were partnering with. Uh, we gave them time off of work to, to go and uh, find jobs. And then we offered them severance if they got to the end of the same weeks and it didn't work out. And uh, the next time I showed up at the office, uh, there was a fire truck 
uh, in a police car and, and one of our trucks was on fire. It had been doused with fuel and it was melting to the ground. Huh. And I, rem- I, I remember asking a, 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 a little bit of a different question in the moment. Uh, I, I'm like three hours into this. I remember walking into a bathroom, locking the door, washing my face and saying, what a freaking disaster. <laughs> Where this am I like, right now? <laughs> like, this is a disaster. I feel unsafe. And honestly, in that moment, uh, I was done digging the mine. Like I was yeah. going nowhere. Mm. And had I not felt an obligation to a handful of people that I'd hired that, that cared about having a job and a paycheck, right. I would have handed over the keys and walked out. And fortunately, I I felt like I couldn't do that. And because six months later, I said, I am having the experience of a lifetime. And I asked myself that that exact question. It's like, at what point do you give up and say this was a failure? And I would say uh, it it takes more art than science. But I on, on one occasion, I made the mistake of staying too long. And, and I understand that looking back at it. And uh, on many occasions, I made the mistake of quitting too early. Mm-hmm. And, and I do have, and, and again, it's like there, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of logic that's going on up here in your mind, but there's, a lot, there's also a lot of instinct and heart yeah. and sort of connection to your own soul that, that I think evaluating uh, is, is really helpful. But you know, my experience in, in, in this case was that, you know, as, as I have gone through hard things in life, and some of them you don't have a choice. I mean, like sometimes adversity is thrown at us. Um, but I look at those moments that felt the deepest, that felt the, like the most difficult, and they just felt overwhelming. Like those burdens felt huge. And I was actually closer to like breaking through in what I was doing and closer to a moment of like personal victory or success. And so it's, it's, it's an ambiguous answer, but I think it's, um, you know, as I think about generationally and like, we're a very young company in terms of who we, who we hire, Um, you know, millennials are no longer the, the young bucks that they, that they once were, But, but I've hired a lot of millennial Gen Z and you look at the, you look at their resumes, and it's like, boy, you've only been out of college for four years, and like it looks like you've experienced the world professionally. And so, you know, they're they're somewhere in the in in the balance of, you know, I've been here six months and it's not working out, and I've been here four years and I just can't seem to find my rhythm. It's like mm-hmm. you charge hard, and then you make a decision. But I also think that one of the barometers for for we, we, we oftentimes measure the wrong things. And I, and I've learned that in my career, uh, when I'm measuring my own personal enjoyment, um, like my own success, my own paycheck, when it's all about me, I kind of lose out on what actually makes a career special and meaningful. And so that, that's one of these changed perspective, which is when I'm only, when, when the whole world revolves around me, you kind of like, you don't want to stay in grind much longer because like the easiest thing to do is go, but that's a perspective that, that I think everyone's got to sort of figure out along the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're right. And, and I'm a millennial and, and I think it's just a general feeling amongst us that the world does revolve around us. 
And, and that's what we were taught, right? That's, that's the way we grew up is things were instant for us. Now we were on yep. the beginning wave of social media and, and life being easier than that way. But that's kind of where our formative years were built was yeah. that instant gratification. And so now when something doesn't work out in six months, you think either I'm dumb, I'm not doing it right, or I need to go find something else. Or maybe you're just soft. Or maybe I'm just soft. That, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's, that's what it is. That's true, too. too right? Yeah. <laughs> right. No, you're exactly right. It, it's I haven't seen, I haven't truly gone through anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and so way, when and I wasn't saying, I wasn't saying you are soft. Uh, <laughs> that, I, I, it's I all good. Said, but but I, I need to hear it. You didn't have to, Jeremy. <laughs> we, we were all thinking it. <laughs> you, you, know you do have, you do have to go through hard things in life. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I've gone through it. My hardest things have actually been professional like personal and professional lives really you know, they're, they're kind of one and the same. It's it, it, when, when, you, when you care so much about what you do professionally, like it's, it's hard to say, okay, get in the car. That was a crappy yeah, day, but right. let's go. Life, life is yeah. good. And so I do think that there, that there's something about um, experiencing hard things. And those are, those are the things that make you stronger. Mm-hmm. And it's cliche to say, but when you're in the middle of adversity, it sucks. You hate it. And you just want to be done with that. Uh-huh. But, you know, it, it, I, I am finding more, the more I go through it in my career. And by the way, I'm in the middle of a tough moment right now. Um, like our business is complicated with global supply, supply chain. chain. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, a, it's a total nightmare. And yet my perspective went from 10 years ago, like this sucks. This is heavy. I hate this to, uh, this is a pretty interesting problem to solve that's never happened in the, the history of the world. Yeah. And this can be written one of two ways. Um, you know, it can be a success or a failure. So we're going to write this success. And I'm going to be intrigued by this problem that I get to solve because not only does it not feel so heavy, but I start to enjoy the challenge and I can actually learn from a difficult moment as opposed to just wanting to be done with it. Yeah. And that's sort of similar. I'm listening to your story. You, you talked about earlier that, you know, you made the decision to continue on with Traeger because you owed some people that came with you. Right. And now you're going through somewhat of a, you know, with supply chain, there's a, there's a lot going on there. And look, you, there's a community of us and a, hundreds of thousands of people who count on you now that are within yeah. your community. So you can't quit your ass better to get <laughs> yeah. up every day and work, man. <laughs> you, you, you know, so that, that's a really, that's an interesting comment. And I, and I, I want to share a story of about, well, let's see the week of uh, March 13th, 2020, which was a Friday, 20, that yeah. was a Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, it was uh, four days after um, Rudy Gobert from the jazz, my, my, my home team. Yeah. Uh, it's like, this is when this, like this, this COVID-19 just started blowing up and uh, we huddled in, in, in this office right here for four days straight, trying to figure out what our go forward plan was going to be. And that was a heavy moment because I didn't know if people would stop buying expensive grills. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of debt on the business at the time. And um I didn't know if we can get product from like there were all sorts of unknowns. And uh, I remember getting like three or four days in this conversation. We said, you know what? We've got this community of people um, that really care about this brand. And so maybe we should be 
turning tur- turning this on its head a little bit and saying, uh, why don't we think about our community? You know, we're scared. Everyone is scared. No one knows exactly what's going on. And we're going to figure out how we be part of this solution. We can no longer go out and do shop classes and cook and bring food, but we can get into people's backyards through technology. Mm -hmm. And we started this Traeger kitchen live, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, it's an hour cooking show and we have like 150,000 people a week in the afternoon, like during the work day. I I certainly Um, wasn't one of those. (laughs) I was. I was too. And it was was interesting to think, you know what? Um, Let's not be in this just for us. Mm -hmm. Let's do something positive for our community. And uh, it's the first time that I've ever thought about business quite that way and where we've said our community relies on on us and on each other and we rely on them and i will tell you that like watching the it, it, and 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 we sort of turn we we coined during the pandemic the traitorhood because yeah. like we're watching this from the outside like almost from the outside like we own the brand we run the brand but we're watching our community members bond together mm-hmm. over social media in their neighborhood. And we were talking earlier on about, you know, finding the good in humanity and like the pandemic certainly brought out some bad in humanity, but I also think it brought out some good in humanity. And and one of those things was community. You walk down the street and, and a family's walking together and, you know, they've been quarantined. And so they see a neighbor and say, how are you? It's like they actually care right. and they're going to stop and listen to the response. And so, you know, we we uh, I, I was so blown away by how the Traeger community interacted with each other. And there was like one post in particular, you know, this 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 woman posted a picture of this amazing brisket with a with, with a phrase under underneath and the post it said, "Stay calm and Traeger on." Yeah. Oh man! And so, yeah. like, and so, and so, so we hashtag Traeger on. That was like that got our community through the pandemic, and um, it was an interesting moment. And by the way, I just think that's that's part of what ultimately makes uh, a career in life more meaningful. Is that you know what? Uh, life and careers by definition are a little bit self-serving. Like we've lived with our thoughts and our ambitions and our motivations our entire life. And so we see the world through our own lenses. But uh, when you start to care as much about other people and about their journey, they feel that. And by the way, it's so much more satisfying when you authentically care for someone else and they sense that. Yeah. than it is having your own oh, success, yeah. 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 your notch on, on the belt, whatever it is. And so, you know, that's something that we learned during the pandemic and it's really changed how we think about, you know, being leaders and building culture that, that looks out for our people. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. And you're sort of answering it, but from a leadership perspective, you know, the head of the company, the head of the business, everybody looks to you in that moment. How difficult was that? Because I'm sure behind closed doors, you're sitting there worried and thinking, you know, worst case scenarios and whatnot. How did you stand strong and be a good leader in that moment for your team when they needed you most? 
So, so look, they, um, fortunately, uh, I've learned uh, by experience, and you know, in 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 an earlier life as CEO, uh, I was like confident. I, I pretended I was confident about everything, and even if I was like scared out of my mind trying to figure it out, and um, I think I think there's something about authenticity and leadership that really matters, mm-hmm. and. People know when you're not being honest with them. And so, you know, fortunately, I, I do have, you know, a good deal of self-confidence and, and enough, enough experience that I have pattern recognition, which by pattern recognition in business and in life is so much more valuable than reading a thousand books and case studies. Like you have to experience to make good decisions. Yeah. And so um, there's enough of that. But I was also able to express what I didn't know. And, and what worried me. And, and, and I, I, I found that by doing that, a couple of things happened. Number one, everyone says, okay, we're in this together. Right. And thank you for your kind. Thank you for, for saying you're going to look out for us, but thank you for acknowledging that this is going to take all of us, you know, as a community, like living our cultural values, you know, looking out for our people. I mean, we were, we were less than a week into to going home for the pandemic when we had an earthquake in Utah. Like earthquakes don't happen. I was in say, Utah. That is not the Pacific wow. Rim. I know that. I've never heard of any. And, and I, I'm in the basement on my spin bike at 7, 12 in the morning and my house starts shaking. Uh-huh. And um, I couldn't get off because I was setting a personal record. I mean, <laughs> priorities, <laughs> but... <laughs> My family's freaking out upstairs. I eventually went upstairs. You save yourselves. You can't let anything get in the way of the gains. I've learned that. And, and, I, and I eventually, like, I wasn't going to get to the end of the 30 minutes when I started hearing people, like, pitter-patter upstairs. Yeah. But, um, you know, we, we reached out to our leadership team, and we said, hey, remember we said we're going to, like, we're going to touch base with our people working from their bedrooms and living rooms, yeah. and not to see how productive are you, but how are you? And this is when we doubled down on that. And it was interesting that, so stood up and said, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. But I'm one guy and this leadership team is a handful of people. So we need everyone to pitch in, in this moment. And I think that really, when, as a leader, when you say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to carry the load and, and I'm going to lead you, but I don't have all the answers. People don't, People don't look at vulnerable circumstances if they respect you. They don't think less of you. They don't take advantage of you. I actually think they, they say, okay, I'm going to step up and I'm going to help as opposed to just take me there. Yeah, and I, it, it's so literally so funny you said that. We were talking about this right before uh, we got on with you was we're just kind of reflecting and, and we're going through um, Jocko Willock's book, um, Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership. And I love that guy. Oh, the best, the best. But we're talking about, we're talking about, you know, own your world and own everything. And, but then also too, is we're talking about the pandemic and imagine a scenario where the leadership of our country, you know, whether it be, and again, this is not to get political, but you know, the CDC or uh, the FDA or our, you know, elected officials went up and says, Hey, we we don't know everything. Here's what we do know. And we're, we're, we're working through this. We're going to need time. We're going to need help as opposed to like, you know, giving out answers, Hey, three weeks, then this, and then this, and then this, and then answers change. And imagine 
imagine the difference in division between the country on one side or the yeah. other, however you feel, had a leader just kind of gone up there and just say, hey, listen, we're figuring this out with you. We don't have all the answers. Here's what we do know, but we are investing and we're working our tails off to find as much information as fast as we can. I mean, how different I, would that have been? I, I'm, di I'm dying for that moment. And by, <laughs> by the way, we have such a crisis of leadership right oh, now. Yes. And, you know, part, part, part of it is what you said. Everyone suggests they know, but it's interesting. When you get on the other side of politics, mm -hmm. you, you actually realize how little they know. Right. <laughs> like, how like everyone's an expert on an issue that you could spend your whole life studying not being an expert on. Yeah. But the other, the other, the other piece that, you, you know, that, that I find disappointing uh, as, as a citizen, as, a, as I'm looking at this is it's not just about what they say, but, but it's recognizing that there are, there are motivations that are, that are actually not necessarily for your own good. Yeah. And, you know, every once in a while you, you, you have a rare leader who, who is also a politician and you say, this person doesn't care what anyone thinks they, they say what they believe. And if you don't like it, that's just fine. Mm -hmm. But, um, Look, I, I think it's it, it's 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 a real shame that we don't have more of that. Yeah, and I just it's people like you said, people see if you're authentic or not, and I think the the public can see you know leaders within their business organization, with their school, within the government, people can tell when there's authentic care for others. Hundred percent. And I just I wish we had more of that. I want to take another quick break, and speaking of breaks, I want to thank thank our sponsor, Sleep Number, who gives you. The best break of every single day of your life, which is sleep. Mm. And what they're doing with their technology and their mattresses is second to none. They have taken the mattress game and put it on steroids. Yeah. They check your heart rate, your, your circadian rhythm. They're doing all these different things to test you while you're sleeping to make sure that it's custom and that every single night is the most restorative restful sleep that you're ever going to get. It's no accident that Sleep Number is the official sleep partner of the NFL. And because NFL athletes are at the top when it comes to recovery, when it comes to taking care of your body, and nothing is more important than sleep. We've talked about it on the show multiple times, making sure you take care of your sleep. And there's a reason that Dak Prescott sleeps on one every single mm -hmm. night. And there's a reason that his career has blossomed the way that it has. So make sure either you go online, sleepnumber.com, you go into a local store, they're going to walk you through it. They're, you're going to experience the entire process of understanding what your sleep score is or what your sleep number is. And then ultimately showing you how to achieve the highest sleep score uh, because that's what's important is yeah. how you actually sleep and how you recover so that you can tackle the day with the, everything that you have. Yeah, it's a VIP experience that we're all looking for. That's so right. Sleepnumber.com. Like Tyler said, go get yourself to a local store and get yourself that VIP experience. Now back to the episode. Um, so let's, let's go into the, you know, this kind of this crisis where you're at now um, you, you went through an organization uh, that you took from a million dollars in revenue to 300 and took it public and you accomplished a lot of things on paper. You know, you've said in, in other interviews that hey, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I look back and I was kind of, like you said, I was kind of faking it. Um, and then now you're learning, you know, all of those experiences have led to what you're doing now and what you've done at Traeger. And I think, again, I, another interview, you said, like, yeah, if I were to look at myself six months ago, 
you know, I didn't know anything six months ago compared to what I know now, but yeah. the, the humility yeah. to admit that, but oh. you're, you're in a, in a very unique time that even two years ago may, didn't think that you would be right. Yeah. And, and I know, like you said, you created something different through the pandemic and, you know, I'm a little, a little bit of a dork and went through some sec filings and you had really good years, <laughs> right. From in, in 20 and 21. Right. And there was gr amazing growth. And then now you're faced with this supply chain issue where we, we can't get materials. We can't get products. Things are stuck at the port. Um, you know, we can't get the distribution out through the United States. It's taking too long to get to customers. I mean, the, the challenges are endless for product companies, right? It's, it's insane. And so as you're navigating through this, and I love the fact that you're taking the challenge, you're like, Hey, look, I'm actually looking forward to the adversity yeah. here, but what are these next steps for, for you personally as a leader and then Traeger as a company? So, so first of all, uh, first, first interview ever where someone acknowledged they had gone through SEC filings. Uh, <laughs> so, he, he is a meathead, but he's smart. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn if you want to take the time. You know what, it's, um, so, so um, one of the reasons why I came back to do this again mm -hmm. is that um, I wanted to learn to be a better, a better business, a better leader better business leader, better CEO. And I look back on my experience at Skull Candy and I sort of said, um, like, I'm so far from being who I want to be as a business leader that um, it, that's an interesting motivation. So, so my motivation every single day is to get better, is to see progress, like full stop. Number, num number two, it's to create it's to create an environment where people can become their best selves. Mm -hmm. And we just, we spend so much time working that I think any legacy around shareholder value, you know, stock price, P and L, those aren't legacies that anyone cares about, but the legacy of looking back and saying my four years at Traeger changed the trajectory of my life. Mm -hmm. What I learned, like the personal trait that I learned on the job made me better husband, better father, better community member. Like th those are the, those are the two things that drive me. And so with that in mind, I, I look at us in the middle of this moment and it's complicated and it's actually really interesting because it's a little bit of a tale of two businesses here. Traeger as a brand in a community is super healthy and it's growing as fast as we can hold on for dear life. And that, and that's awesome. Um, Somehow, we're having a hard time making more money as we grow, and that's because transportation costs have gone up, not by 50%, but by eight times since yeah. the second quarter. And so I look at this and I say um, two things. If we can solve this, we can solve anything because this is complicated. The other, and I, there's, um, you know, Clayton Christensen, uh, who was a professor at Harvard Business School, and some, someone who became a friend that I, I admired so much. Um, one, one of the things he talked about was, you know, when your back is against the wall, when you are in a moment of crisis, you will learn to innovate like no other moment mm -hmm. yeah. because you have to. Yep. And there's, a, there's this phrase I love, which is don't, don't let a good crisis go to waste. Like yeah. make, make something from it. And so, as a business leader right now, I'm thinking, okay, we've got multiple things that we've got to solve for. Yeah. 
Uh, the first is we've got to solve for today. You know, we, we, we've got it. We've got to ship product. It's got to be high quality. Uh, we, we've got to make payroll, pay our factories, grow the business. Uh, the next thing I have to solve for is all of the long-term investments uh, of, of this brand. And that means um, product innovation. I, I have to continue to invest in better product because right. although I may not get paid for it for three years, mm-hmm. I stop now, three years from now really hurts. Right. Uh, we've got to fuel the brand, all the cooking content, you know, that, that's, that stuff's expensive, the marketing content. Um, because I've got to protect the future even while I manage the near term, which is painful. But then I got to make sure I protect my people and my culture at the same time. And doing all three of those things is difficult. What most people do, uh, what most, what most or many business leaders do is they focus on the first one. I'm going to protect the moment. I'm going to protect the quarter. I may, I may sell us down the river in the future, but at least I get past this moment. And in the process of, so, so I've already, like, I, I, I've already sub-optimized my future. But in the process of doing that, I'm going to put so much weight on my team that I'm going to break them. I'm going to break the culture. I'm going to make this an experience that, that makes them sick to their stomach when they come into the office on a Monday morning. And so, you know, I, I, I think about the complexity of managing these three different objectives all of which are uh, mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, in, in, in theory, you can't do them all perfectly. And so we set out every day with those three objectives in mind and, and we need to balance and we need to make trade-offs and we make trade-offs. We need to be honest about what trade-offs we're making. So I'll tell you, this is a, um, I'm glad I didn't face this problem. 10 or 15 years ago, because I would have been a deer in the headlights. Mm -hmm. And and I'm actually, because I take a long-term view on, 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 on a business like this, I can't solve the global macroeconomic issues this quarter because I'm not responsible for them. Um, But I can reinvent the business in a moment of crisis in the future while protecting what we're doing today. You know, you sound like you are in a position now in your life, just through all your experiences that you're, you're kind of enjoying the moment. You're enjoying I, I am, the journey. I am. I, I, and you know what? It, that's so important to me because I spent so much of my career not enjoying the journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate to say that because I'm an optimistic, happy person, but I was always so focused and so ambitious and so hardworking that it was hard for me to appreciate the moments that I was in because I was always focused on where I was going. And you know, I have learned that um, the only thing to look forward to at the end of your career is retirement. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't, I don't want that. And so if I can't enjoy this, like what, what's the point? Yeah. And I think that way about life. And I, I, I remember um, uh, my co-founder of Skull Candy was uh, the majority partner. He brought me in uh, and I wanted to be the, I, w- I was the number, I was a president. He was a CEO. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the CEO so badly. I mean, like I could taste it. And, and I just said, I'm going to keep working and grinding. I'm going to create so much value and eventually be, it'll be obvious. And eventually I became the CEO. And I remember getting that news. I was, I was in Eastern Europe on, on business. And I was like, I was elated. And then 48 hours later, I said, it doesn't feel any different. <laughs> and and, and, and that, that was important to me because yeah. 
I, I did enjoy so many of those moments. And, and people ask me all the time, what's next? And they think my response is coy when I say, this is it. Like, I'm not, I, there's no next. Like, the grass beneath my feet is the greenest grass I can see. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to enjoy this moment because I, I'm not getting any wow. younger. And it would be really sad for me to look back 20 years from now and say, I wish I enjoyed it more. Yeah. And I, and I will tell you, there's, there, there, there's, a, there's a much overused Chinese proverb, overused by me, um, <laughs> which is uh, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, mm-hmm. and the second best time is today. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of those things that I, that, that I learned a handful of years ago in my career, and I'm determined to never not enjoy a moment, regardless of how complicated it may be. And it's funny because I've actually I've had some criticism from public investors, which is like this this will this will blow your mind. And running a public company is not easy, and it takes thick skin. When when you're private, everyone just writes these really nice things about your company. <laughs> yeah. And then the moment you file an S one to go public, everyone suddenly has mean things to say about you. <laughs> and um, I got some feedback from some from some investors that you know on my social like I do social media. And, and I am an introverted person, which is like, like kind of a weird place to be as a CEO, mm-hmm. but I'm introverted and I do social media to communicate with the Traegerhood, with my community. Mm-hmm. And uh, the feedback was, you know what, your stock price is down and it, you just look happy, like with your family, like it's almost like nothing's wow. going on. And it was the criticism and it, I was very really taken back and I said, hey, listen, I just want you to know that. I, I take my stewardship of your capital very seriously. I know that money's not a scorecard for me, but as an investor for you, I, I respect the fact that it is. And I am doing everything and I feel that weight and I feel that burden, but I don't think being unhappy and frowning, you know, over a big, beautiful brisket with mm-hmm. my boys learning to cut a yes. slice of brisket, I don't think it's going to make me any better. Yeah. And I think it's just really important to acknowledge that Life can be hard, but it doesn't have to make us angry and unhappy at the yeah, same time. I, I yeah. love that. I, and yeah. I know we want to be respectful of your time here, um, but I want to I want to shift to you mentioned a couple times. Uh, you know, I, I love hiking up mountains. You're you're cycling. Um, you know, self care. You have a lot on your plate professionally, um, but as it as it relates to physical care to mental health. Um, and one thing I want to call out that it sounds like you, you innately do is, is you've, you've separated your identity. Um, Jeremy Andrus is, is your identity is not CEO. Your yeah. identity is not what the revenue of Traeger is. That doesn't directly relate to your value as a person. And I love that. I love that that just innately happens, but how important is it to you to really focus on yourself, to fill your yeah. cup back up so you can continue? Because again, we haven't even talked about the fact that you have six kids. You have yeah. a set of twins at the very back end. I have twins oh. as well. It was our, oh. was our last one. So, God, so I get it. So family time and, and really focusing on, on the things yeah. that, that really, and I, I would say that's the true legacy, right? Is that is what, that is what's going to make an impact on this world much longer than you being the CEO of Traeger. Not that that's not important. Listen, uh, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, my kids, like my kids love Traeger and, so it, and it's like, it's family to them. Yeah. Um, but they don't, they don't care what dad does for a living. Yeah. Um, they, they may look back and say, dad worked hard and that was cool, but, but dad didn't, dad didn't 
prioritize the business over over us. Um, I love what you said, first of all, um, around where you find your identity and like your foundation as a human being, uh, because I haven't always been that way. Career was so important to me, you know, from from such a young age, long before I had a career that uh, it was my identity for a while. And that wasn't good for me. And it wasn't good for me for, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, um, when your identity can be yanked out from under you by someone else like that, it's like, what do you have? And then you say, I have so much else, but like, I feel like my life has been robbed from me. And so you, your, your core has to be something that you own and can never be taken from you. Uh-huh. Uh, but the second thing that I realized, and this is after I left Skull Candy, I was unhealthy. Um, I was working seven days a week. You know, I remember my wife telling me about I was a single guy living in my parents' basement, got married, went to Skull Candy. Uh, and my wife telling me that she was driving in Park City uh, with with our two young daughters, four and two years old. And our four-year-old said, look, mom, that's where dad lives. And mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, oh that's that's like, no, oh. I, I know that's not what she meant. It's like, no, right. no, no, she actually did. And like, yeah. thank you for being mm-hmm. honest as a child. And um, I did it so much that that I was I was unhealthy and, and I was physically unhealthy. I couldn't work out in the morning because I was so tired. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like I went to bed at two in the morning working and three in the morning. I'd like a kid's waking up and I'm like trying to put a bottle in a mouth or rock her back to sleep. Um, I was uh, I was mentally unhealthy. I was spiritually unhealthy. And I, I just like I, I remember looking at that and say, I'll, just, I'll never be here again. Like this is. This is not what life is about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I didn't realize in the moment, but I, I started doing yoga more more for, for sort of meditation reasons than anything. I started to get in good physical shape. And then I started to analyze what was important in my life. And I, I have this very strong belief that anything that, that is truly important to me in my life I get done by eight o'clock in the morning Mm. and then I get to go hang out in the office and like in my man cave and do like super fun things. And so for me, that's like, that means up at five. It means I don't turn this device on. Uh, I I don't unlock my phone first thing. And I used to, it's like, boy, what happened in China? It's like, okay, we got a product moving out. And then suddenly I have no peace. And so uh, my commitment is, uh, I wake up early uh, before everyone else. Uh, I don't check my phone. I get uh, a, a big, tall glass of hot water, and that's just my routine. And uh, I sit in the dark. I drink my water. I listen to spiritual music. Um, I read something that's meaningful to me. And I have a moment to be still and to meditate. And I didn't do that. And w- and when I started doing that, I realized how important that was to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 6 a.m., I'm running up a mountain or I'm lifting weights or I'm on a mountain bike, whatever it may be. I do that until 7.15. Uh, I, uh, I race upstairs and wake the kids up or, or you know, get the kids out of bed. Uh, I make uh, I make a protein shake that has every every nutrient in it that if I don't eat again till the next day, I'm going to be okay. I should drink. But <laughs> uh, I sit with my family. 
We read a scripture. We say a prayer. I drop them off at school. All six of them a half mile from here. And I'm the office by 830. Mm-hmm. And what I realize is that when my day, when my day gets away from me, it's noisy and I can't think I haven't like not, I haven't done anything important, but I've done a lot of things. It's right. like, I'm just taking action for progress. But if I can do everything that gives me my identity by eight in the morning, then suddenly like my days go sideways all the time. And at six 30 at night, like my commitment is this laptop shuts at six 30. I'm home with my family. 11 minutes later is that, when my day goes sideways, I've done everything I need to do in the morning. And when I walk in the door, I put my phone in a cupboard. And, and by the way, I didn't always, and I don't always. And when I don't, I ask my kids to call me on that because uh, I want to be present because being a hero to my kids is it's, it's, it's more important, but not always, but usually harder than like the next email or text that I feel like I should respond to mm-hmm. at the dinner table. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you talk about identity and we actually just got done reading the book atomic habits and, and he talks about identity in that book. And, uh, he says, you know, it's shifting your, your mentality and for your scenario, we're all three former athletes and, and the shift was very hard for us because we saw ourselves as athletes and football players. Yeah. And one thing he talks about, and, and this applies to you, instead of saying I'm the CEO of Traeger, you say something like, I love to build, create, and lead people. That yeah. way, if you have that identity, that goes with you wherever you go. Take that goes anywhere. with you with your family. That goes with yeah. you to your next career. It's not solidified in being the CEO of Traeger. It's so perfectly said. And, and, and that's why I think as, as you're developing personal qualities along the way, you take those everywhere and they're more than a financial result. If you forfeit... Or, or, or if you miss the opportunity to have an experience that that helps you become a better person, but you have a nice financial yeah. business result, it's like you don't really take anything except what ends up in the bank. And I, I think that's a more intentional way to live. But I know it's a, it's it's a much more satisfying way to live as well. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, we, we know we got to let you go. You got to yes. get home to your family. Yes. Uh, this has been awesome, man. Yeah, we could go yeah. on for hours, and I've enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and we great, we're great the conversation. Yeah, we're Thank the biggest you. fans of Traeger. We're going to continue being the biggest fans. Yes. And again, not only because of the product, but because of the community and the yeah. family and and what you guys stand for. And we really really appreciate yeah. you. Well, yeah, you. And I think the conclusion of this interview and, and this time to to, to chat is. It, it's not a surprise, right? It's not a yeah. surprise that the brand represents what it does because, you know, you've got leaders mm-hmm. behind it that believe in, in what they're doing and what they're preaching yeah. and, and are living it. So we just, we thank you for that. We thank you for being you. Yeah. You know, a leader in the, in the business, the business community, but your community and your family, because again, we talk about just the lack of leadership across the country and, and it really, it starts in the homes and man, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate if I got anything that I'm most impressed about is just your, your commitment, you know, to your, yeah. to your family and to your kids. You know what I'm most impressed about when you started off that you talked about your investment into Traeger, you said, we, mm-hmm. you didn't say oh. I, you said, yeah. we, and I got to tell strong, you, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, where, where my strength comes from, but like my, my wife and I, Everything we do, it's total team sports. Right. Every, 
everything. Yeah. It's the best. We didn't talk yeah. about it because we're going to trap you into another time. Coming back on with us, we're going to trap you into it. So By the way, that's ne the next, next episode. Time, me and my wife at the same time. And yes. 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 That's we're, awesome. We'll see the true force yes. behind yeah. it. Man. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, hey, Jeremy, thank you so much. Yeah. We really appreciate, man, the time. And uh, we look forward to, to watching you. You got fans over here. And if there's anything that we can do to help from our side, we're here for you yeah. whenever. Yeah. And tell, Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And tell Marcus Prentice to give us a call back, man. We're trying to get you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to fix your supply chain issues. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to. Please do. We're going we're gonna to help. <laughs> thank hey, you. But I like thank it. you. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Take All care. Right.